we're all kind of in this in-between state of sovereignty and surrender. And so I feel like my work is really an exploration of that in-between place. Through my work, I feel a sense of connection to my heritage, to my ancestry, to my ancestors. So I have this excitement to share that knowledge. And so it kind of connects me in time to everyone. First People's Fund presents the Collective Spirit Podcast. The Collective Spirit moves each of us to stand up and make a difference, to pass on ancestral knowledge, and simply extend a hand of generosity. The Collective Spirit Podcast features Native artists and culture bearers who discuss the power of Indigenous art and culture. I'm Ursula Hudson. I am German and Filipino. And Klinke, I am a Raven Moody, uh, Duck Dainton clan, which is the black-legged kittiwake, originally from Huna, Alaska. I'm currently living in the Southwest, where I grew up here in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And I am a weaver of the traditional Northwest Coast indigenous textile of Raven's Tail and Chiquette. I was born to two artist parents, and so I I grew up surrounded by the unsure, unstable lifestyle of starving artists, and I was homeschooled, so I was really immersed in that whole lifestyle. I learned a lot of different techniques from silkscreen, printmaking, to carving, drawing, painting, um, and I really loved it. It was a good outlet for me, and so I decided that when I went to school, when I went to college, I went to Fort Lewis, and I went there and got my degree in art, even though I was determined not to be a professional practicing artist until I was about 29 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I did not want to live that that crazy lifestyle that my parents lived where they were always fighting about money. So I instead taught myself how to code websites and do graphic design. And that's how I supported my family. I became a mom pretty young in my 20s. And my art making kind of got put on hold. And in... 2016, about six years ago, my mom signed me up to be a participant in one of her weaving projects. It was a collaborative robe where all the weavers had to weave five inch by five inch squares. And actually by that time, I, I had never finished a full weaving of any size. My mom had made me weave a little bit here and there uh, because she thought I should be a weaver. And I just have always had this rebellious spirit where if, if my mom wanted anything from me, I was going to do the opposite. So it wasn't until 2016 where she had signed me up without asking and I felt like I was committed. So I had to weave this five inch by five inch square. And then I was hooked. I did not eat or sleep. I did not want to talk to anyone. And then um, my mom passed a few months later. She passed about five months after I learned or I wove that square. And my sister came down to help take care of my mom while my mom was sick. And she helped me warp up one of my mom's old weaving looms. And we warped up a full-size robe 
and we were supposed to weave it together but then my sister Lily Hope who's also a very renowned weaver and uh, teacher of Raven's Chill and Chillcat she decided that she didn't want to live in Colorado and so after we wove the first couple of rows she moved back to Juneau and I had this robe warped up and I had never woven anything more than a five inch by five inch square and so over the course of the next four years I ended up weaving I, I finished that robe and it was really when COVID hit and I lost all my graphic design clients for a for that summer that I was able to finish that robe. And it was a lot of learning from books, but also Zoom technology allowed me to learn from other weavers. And from there, I guess the rest is history. I've been working as a full-time weaver since the summer of 2020. When I was growing up, anytime I wanted to learn a different medium, my parents would drop everything and take the time to show me what I wanted to learn. And sometimes my mom encouraged me to do certain projects. And for example, like she thought that showed an interest in sewing and doing like button blanket design when I was about 10 years old. She encouraged me to make dolls with button blanket form line or regalia. And then she would take me to market with her at Indian market and enter me into the contests and stuff. And I think that that kind of competition, those types of competitions was really good for my personality. I like challenges. I like being presented with challenges. I would say for weaving, most of what I learned about weaving was through osmosis. My, my mom would make me prep materials. That was some of my chores. She'd pay me sometimes to um, split her bark and split her wool for her to spin. And she would make me sit down next to her and be like, you sit and you watch. She would put on her thick native accent when it was time to sit with her at the loom because it was serious business. And and I thought that I was like ignoring her and that I was trying not to pay attention because I'm just that renegade kid that when I started weaving in 2016, I was really surprised at how much I knew I was able to weave at like the same pace as the experienced weavers. And so I, it's amazing how much you learn through watching. And then from there, I, yeah, I read a lot of different handbooks, specifically from the non-Indigenous weavers of Raven's Tale and Chilcat. Cheryl Samuel and Kay Parker both have books and handbooks on how to weave. I'm grateful to them because they were able to put directions on paper that were easy to understand. And I also was able to learn form line design and Chilcat design online during COVID times on Zoom from some master formline designers up in the Northwest Coast. Before COVID hit, I thought that if I was going to learn how to do any sort of Northwest Coast uh, Indigenous art, I was going to have to spend a lot of time in Juneau and going back and forth between here and there or move there. But state of the world has kind of shifted that I'm really grateful for that because I think that just no way that I wouldn't have been able to get to where I am right now. I think the inspiration for my work has been kind of a surprise and it's kind of um, developed into my consciousness over the past year. I am white passing, right? I am of mixed ancestry and 
therefore, when I was growing up, I knew I didn't look like anybody down here in Colorado. And I kind of felt like an outsider. But I also didn't fit in with my cousins and my family up north in Alaska because I was not brown enough. And so I've been kind of living in this in-between state of kind of feeling like an outcast and um, and also sometimes feeling like I belonged somewhere. <laughs> and And then on top of that, I'm a woman. If you just think about Native people, people in general uh, living in this country. We're all kind of in this in-between state of sovereignty and surrender. And so I feel like my work is really an exploration of that in-between place. And that's because through my work, I am able to feel a sense of connection to my heritage, to my ancestry, to my ancestors, and also I have this excitement to share that knowledge and that those spiritual teachings with my children. And so it kind of connects me in time to everyone. As a woman in this current place that our world is in, in this moment in time, I think we're able, we have more influence and we have more power than we did a hundred years ago. And I think that's true even if you look at our indigenous ancestors, the women didn't really have a public, uh, any sort of sense of influence publicly. And so it's exciting for me to see how there's this transformation in our, in my indigenous culture and in the overculture when it comes to women. And so my, my woven regalia is an expression of who I am as an artist with my mixed ancestry. And my regalia is made for women for ceremony, which which woven regalia in the Clinket culture was never really made for women because only only the chiefs could afford to commission a weaving. Just the fact that women can now afford their own woven regalia is really exciting. And I want to honor that and the position of women in the world today. The biggest challenge for me has been with my ego, not feeling like I deserve to make to make a living as an artist, not feeling that anyone wants to hear my voice, and not feeling like I am Native enough to make this work, that this traditional work. And so I have had to do a lot of soul searching, a lot of meditation, a lot of conversing with my relatives up north, and am I allowed to do all this? And, and how will people receive my work? And the tangible challenge probably would be being a mother and being responsible for other people while uh, being unsure as to where my next paycheck is going to come from. Being a mother and splitting my mental capacity between many different roles and the transition time required to move between roles and figuring out how to make a significant amount of work with very, very limited focus time on it, on my on my work and making sure everyone feels like they have been tended to within my family and hoping they all still feel loved. There's a lot of challenges that come with being a mother 
and you know there's also the gift though I'll acknowledge that of being a mother and realizing that I do have a very limited amount of time outside of that role and where do I want to invest it and finding that clarity which I don't think I would have ever found if I hadn't had children children have really made me an expert at time management thank you little girls <laughs> indigenous artists that I have looked up to over the past few years have received First People's Fund uh, fellowships at different phases in their lives. And so it was, it's been on my radar since beginning to work full-time as an artist. I waited to apply until I felt like I had a big enough portfolio, but I, I just watched from afar for a couple of years. And, and I had heard about First People's Fund from my mother being a fellow and my sister but yeah it just seemed like all the artists that I was really looking up to and they'd already received a first people's fund grant as soon as I had a project that seemed really clear I applied for the artist and business leadership grant because my project was pretty clear it I had received some invitations to participate in a couple indigenous fashion shows that I felt were pretty high esteemed. Um, well, I had applied for the Toronto Indigenous Fashion Week, which is now Indigenous Fashion Art. I applied and got into that fashion show, and then I was invited to the Waya Indian Market runway show this past August. And so as soon as I received those invitations, I knew how much work had to be done to make sure that my collection was finished for those shows and that I could actually travel to ensure that my work was displayed correctly. And the world was in such a way that I wasn't actually able to get to Toronto in person. But I, I learned a lot from that show from afar and having my work sent over to Canada and dealing with the shipping and the worry of wondering who was going to handle it and how they were going to handle my work and how it was going to look on the runway. So I learned a lot from that. And then I the grant allowed me to spend the week in Santa Fe during Indian Market and put all my work, all my regalia, full woven ensembles with their black chic undergarments on the models in Santa Fe. And it was definitely the highlight. I'm really grateful, not just for the monetary support of First People's Fund, but how they were able to offer me flexibility during these weird times of changing travel itineraries and they had to be pretty flexible with me just the amount of support I received on social media I felt like I had just enough space and just enough support to really feel like it was a good collaboration I think what I'd like my legacy to be is the acceptance of or the embrace of innovation in our traditional art up north in Clinkett country. When art forms or when the potlatches and celebrations came to a halt last century, there was this revival in the 80s, 70s, 80s, when people started making regalia again and being brave enough to learn their language and such. And it was it was slow at first. And I think there was such a focus on relearning in the 80s and the 90s that 
that they were really focused on how things were traditionally crafted like 200 years prior and there were a lot of people who had strong opinions about sticking to those traditional practices of how their great grandmas would make regalia and in the early 2000s when my mom started doing her regalia in a little bit of a weird way uh, introducing materials such as paper making neckties ribbons which wasn't used up north people were kind of interested and if my mom hadn't had the sort of cultural standing that she did um, people would have resisted probably a little bit more to her innovation because I know that other artists that have tried to innovate have received some backlash and people are like that's not how you're supposed to practice this art form you have no right to innovate and it's just not accurate at all like that is not traditional so just adhere to old ways old practices I mean if you look at the evolution of northwest coast art over the past 500 600 years they were incorporating trade beads from California and wool blankets from the Russians um, hats from the Russians the traditional local materials of cedar bark bark and wool those were being used yeah like 500 years ago and then they started introducing all this other stuff and that is innovation that is that is being creative that is embracing what we have access to that is telling the story the story of our people's relationship with our land and other peoples that we're coming in contact with that is telling a continuous story and if you stop innovating if you stop incorporating the materials that you have access to your artwork isn't telling a present day story of our relationship to this world and um so in my weavings i I try to embrace these materials that I have access to at a global level because of our internet, because of the internet, um, because of sharing of knowledge across cultures. And and I can see that I'm already influencing fellow weavers and that's really exciting to me. And I would just really be tickled if that was part of my legacy that I helped remind people um, of the to embrace innovation. The Collective Spirit Podcast is produced by First Peoples Fund, whose mission is to honor and support Indigenous artists and culture bearers through grant-making initiatives, culturally rooted programming, and training and mentorship. Learn more at firstpeoplesfund.org.